Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking, well, the U.S. men's national team, I guess a year-end look back, look ahead, um, also to 2022, uh, some MLS moves that are happening, VAR, as always, CLOP, Super Nation League, if you will, the soccer clock, college soccer, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this December 21st in the year 2021? Uh, doing well. I am coming to you from Fort Lauderdale, where I'm spending the holidays with my parents. It's uh, it's pretty amazing because we are once again doing this uh, remotely um, because we have both traveled. I thought I was going to be in Los Angeles, but I find myself <laughs> basically about a half an hour up the road from you uh, in uh, Florida. So we are both we flew 3000 miles to both be in Florida to record remotely uh, half a uh, half an hour uh, away from each other. But it's uh, we'll, we will make it work. Uh, enjoy, enjoying it so far. It's not it's not the greatest weather yet for southern uh, Florida, but uh, hopefully uh, it'll improve, although I've, I've seen some forecasts. Well, there was one highlight already. I arrived last night and immediately went to dinner at a Greek restaurant. And, they, and we ordered chicken wings as an appetizer. <laughs> and Alexi, I have to tell you, it was the best chicken wings I've ever eaten in my life. If if you were served these, it would change your whole outlook. I, I guarantee you. It's, uh, I can't say enough about how. Well, because they were, I mean, did they do something Greek to them or was it just great chicken wings? Just great chicken wings. But there was this like lemon sauce they dipped in them. And it was just. It was oh, for the heaven. love of God. Oh, my goodness. You know all my buttons to push because, <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm at the uh, in-laws, so I'm drinking heavily and uh, we'll continue to do so through the uh, through the new year, uh, but having a good time. And then we'll be back to kick off uh, another year of the State of the Union pod next week. Uh, and we'll be oh, sorry. 
two weeks from now. I, I still haven't decided if we're going to get together next week. Uh, I want to give people a rest and I want to be respectful of uh, the time, especially uh, Luis and those that put together our show and everything like that. But we'll we'll play it by ear. But there's a there's a possibility that in your feed you won't get a full show next week, although I might just put something together uh, to tide you over. I mean, every everybody needs to take a break here or there. Uh, you will notice that in my intro, Mossy, where I sometimes will plug in some different things that we're going to talk about, especially things that we have watched. I had nothing uh, because, as, as you know, for, for those of you that follow, I came back from Qatar, uh, the 16 hour trip back from Doha to LAX. And I mean, I must have watched five or six different movies uh, along the way. I cannot for the life of me remember what the hell I watched. I mean, I'm in this this black hole, this warp moment and and space and time where nothing registers. Although I know I sat and, and I, I watched and I'm sure if you put them in front of me, I say, oh, yeah, I've seen that movie. I say that movie, but it, it goes completely blank when you're at uh, thirty nine thousand feet for 16 hours going across the uh, the globe. So I got I got nothing really to tell you in terms of things that I have watched. What about you? Oh, same here. I think my television year has come to an end. I'm actually uh, reading a book right now on the history of Jerusalem, which it's somewhat apropos because you've told me I have kind of a heavenly appearance in this podcast, given the light behind <laughs> it. So this is Jesus. Yes, yeah, there is me. an aura. There is a yes. glow behind you. Well, Jerusalem, I mean, there's not much history when it comes to Jer- Jerusalem, though. So, I mean, it's probably more of a pamphlet than a book, <laughs> but uh, I appreciate that yeah, the fact that you are reading it. But look, there is uh, there is plenty to uh, to talk about this week when it comes to soccer, because the games just continue on. And, and as we know, we are living in 2021. And when you live through 2020, you got to bob and weave. You got to be flexible. And there are uh, games that are being canceled as we speak. There are leagues that are being uh, postponed as we speak. So all sorts of stuff is happening. I hope everybody is staying safe uh, and sane, whether on the field or, uh, or off the field. But there is still soccer to talk about, uh, including wrapping up the, uh, you know, what has been, you know, by by numbers, the most successful uh, le- uh, year when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. And I just think, you know, with the, with the eye test, I, I don't think that you can look at this past year and call it anything else than a resounding success when it comes to Greg Berhalter. Yes, bigger fish to fry in 2022. So uh, you ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right. I'm not going to give you uh, my uh, a full state of the union or anything like that. But but I will say, and I, I, you know, I, I mentioned it a second ago. There there are people that are that are looking at this program and looking at this team and they want to believe they want things to change. They want Greg Berhalter and company to give them hope. And we started the year talking about how that was from the outside. One of the things that I and you and and others, we needed to see something. We needed to see some progress. We needed to see some evolution. And ultimately, we needed to believe in this team again. I think with the success they had, and whether you're talking about Nations League or whether you're talking about the Gold Cup or whether you're talking about in those in those finals beating Mexico and then continuing on into uh, World Cup qualifying and beating Mexico in World Cup qualifying and sitting second, I, I think that I have a belief. Still, you know, it's 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 optimistic, and I think rightfully so. It's confident, and I think rightfully so. But. It's not as if this team every other game was playing the elites of the world. But again, in 2021, you do what you can do. They end up the year here with a friendly. Uh, it's not a FIFA window. And so none of the players um, 
well, most of the, almost all of the players that would be involved in a normal game are not here from uh, Europe. So it was an opportunity for Greg Berhalter and company to, to test, test some younger players, some less experienced players, and to finish it off against a Bosnia-Herzegovina team that was also very, very young and inexperienced. It was not, how should we say this? I don't know. I don't need to be kind. It was not one for the ages. It was not something that is going to go in any time capsule in terms of how the game uh, went. But ultimately, they won. They finished the year with 17 wins, which is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a, a new record. So congratulations to the team, all of those players that played a part, and to uh, to Greg Berhalter. Let's focus in first on this game, and then we'll bring it out to you know much more bigger picture here. What did you think of the U.S. against uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina? I read somewhere, and I agree with this, that it had a January camp-friendly feel to it in December. Um, and yeah, it was a pretty ho-hum way to end what, what as you mentioned, was an excellent year. Um, but it didn't bother me that much. I mean, Greg Berhalter made it clear that the reason for this game was just to sort of uh, limit the time of inactivity for the MLS players, what he might need in the uh, qualifiers coming up in early 2022. Uh, and so he achieved that. They gave some debuts to some young players like Cole Bassett, who ended up scoring the winner. Um, so, yeah, it, it wasn't uh, wasn't a great game by any stretch. Uh, I mean, in terms of individual performances, I thought the Jesus Ferrer winger experiment didn't quite work. Uh, Ricardo Pepe was disappointing, missed a great chance in the first half. Acosta and Johnny Cardoso in the midfield were just okay. Lennon and Bello, the two fullbacks, were just okay. Uh, the, the, the center backs didn't have much to do, but but played pretty well. Zimmerman and Kessler, I thought Roldan was active. And actually, the bright spot for me was Jordan Morris. I liked what I saw from him in those 78 minutes. Um, so uh, that's something that you can definitely take out of this game. I agree. And I think a lot of people were looking at Jordan Morris because keep in mind, you know, this was the first time we've seen him in two years, basically, uh, with the uh, U.S. men's national team because of the injuries that he is uh, that, that he suffered and serious injuries. But. This is a guy who arguably and debatable, but there's certainly a debate to be had and and an argument to be made was in the starting 11 before he got hurt. That's how I think high on him they were and rightfully so. And the quality that he has. And so that he is back playing soccer again. And we saw him at the end of the MLS season, but now he's with the, with the national team. And in this game, and a small sample size, but in this game, I thought that he was, uh, from an attacking perspective, one of the bright spots, um, consistently beating people. At one point, he was on the right-hand side, and then he switched to the left-hand side, and he was still dangerous uh, on both sides. Probably should have had a goal, point blank, misses, uh, misses with a header. But this bodes well for the future. Now, I'm not willing to say that he is back where he was when uh, when the injury occurred, but I am saying that if he continues on and look, I think the MLS season is going to be crucial for him. And he's very, he's, he's very open and honest saying, I want to go to the World Cup. What player wouldn't? Well, I think that he's got to be kicking ass when it comes to Major League Soccer, obviously being healthy, being one of the best players in the league and consistently doing that for him to get back in not the good graces, but him to get back in the in the conversation. I do think Greg Berhalter likes him and I think it will give him every opportunity to succeed. But it was it was good from a Jordan Morris perspective and from a U.S. men's national team perspective to see him back playing well. I didn't think that that there were a lot of younger players or inexperienced players that kind of stood out. I mean, your man uh, Cardoso, I actually think he had a pretty good game considering some of the games in the past. <laughs> not enough for me. Honestly, not enough for me to 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 say that he warrants continual call ups. Um, but you, you, you learn that kind of stuff. Uh, I didn't think anybody really stood out when it came to uh, this game. And it has to be said, there was a red card. 
And, uh, you know, Stuart Holden and I went back and forth in the, in the halftime of the game after the red card uh, had happened. I, I, I mentioned at halftime that it just it completely changes the complexion of the game. And a part of me wishes that you if, if both coaches agree you could still play 11 on 11 because this was a game to learn. This was a game to see some different things. And we all know that going down a man is relatively rare. Okay. And so the strategy completely changes. And so you only have this one game. Uh, I'm not, I don't think that's ever going to happen, but that was my suggestion at the time. Stu Holden thought I was crazy getting lines Stu. but uh, you know, I, I just think that it, it defeats the purpose of what that game was. And therefore, Greg Berhalter and, and any coach that's involved in that has to adjust and change. And ultimately, that data and, and you know, that that trial that you are looking to get gets thrown out the window. I don't think it's that crazy. And I mentioned it to my father and he doesn't think it's that crazy either. So we're on Team Alexi on that one. And it's true. I mean, you, you want to test yourself on a friendly 11 v 11. And Greg Berhalter said that was the worst thing that happened for us to have that red card because... Then Bosnia just went into a shell and it, you know, and there's something to be said for getting the reps of trying to break down a team uh, that's parking the bus like that. But nevertheless, I, I think if, if the team that's benefiting from the red card doesn't want to be, play up a man in a friendly, yeah, maybe they should have an option to, to say no, right. uh, right. out, right. but keep 11 on the field. Well, there you go. I didn't have such a, uh, such a crazy, uh, uh, crazy idea. Um, so 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 looking ahead, let's let's bring it out because this game was not something that we should spend a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of time on. But but looking ahead, uh, first I'd, first off, I'd like your thoughts as to um, as I you know as I said, I'm pretty bullish and excited and confident about this year. And we all know 2021 is one thing; 2022 is a different thing. Are you equally as excited and impressed with what happened this year from a uh, U.S. Men's National Team perspective? Absolutely. I mean, the numbers you mentioned: program record, 17 wins. Uh, two trophies, beat Mexico three times, strong start to qualifying, surged up the FIFA rankings, expanded the talent pool. And remember, this was a year that began with the U.S. still kind of with this dark cloud hovering above the program. And now they've completely uh, wiped that away. And there's all this enthusiasm and excitement as there should be. Uh, and, it, and it sets them up very nicely for 2022. They've got a great chance here to clinch a World Cup berth right off the bat in this first window, which would be great because you would render the games at a stack and away to Costa Rica as moot. And so if they can do that, boy, they, they would be in good shape. They'd have a lot of time to prepare for the World Cup. So, uh, so I, yeah, I think everything's looking up. All right. Well, so we, we were on air the other day and, you know, um, our producers asked me to kind of come up with a looking forward 2022. And I'll, I'll go over it and maybe expand on some of the things that that, uh, that I talked about here, because, you know, Greg Berhalter, uh, and, and I think I mentioned on the previous pod that I had actually seen the U.S. Soccer Federation contingent in Doha because they're already preparing and, and looking forward as they should, even though they haven't qualified yet. But you got to prepare and, and think ahead. And they're doing that. And as is, is Greg Berhalter, because he has to recognize that, you know, that year is going to come and go. And it's going to be a real interesting and a very unique and special and different type of year in 2022. Not just for Greg Berhalter and the U.S. men's national team, but for all national teams. And let's be honest, probably for all soccer. So I'll go through a couple of things here. Um, number one, and you mentioned uh, Pepe. I didn't think he was particularly good, obviously, in doing the one thing that he is there to do, which is put the ball in net. He missed a sitter. I did think he was okay. Uh, and at times very good at coming back, holding the ball, providing an option up top and, and doing that. I think he's growing into that type of role. And, and this is not to say that he needs to score a goal every game to 
to prove his value. That's not that's not the case at all. But he is a striker. He's a number nine. He's a classic type of number nine. Uh, and you're expecting him to score goals and to be goal dangerous on a consistent basis. And I didn't think that that this was his game. But I think Greg Berhalter and this team really has to look at the Pepe situation. Is this our guy? Is this the guy that we are attaching everything uh, to going forward? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Keep in mind, this year started off with us going gaga um, about Daryl DK. And, you know, that came and went and fizzled and it could return at a, at a certain point. We saw, you know, PFOC score uh, four goals this uh, this past weekend. So he's still involved in the conversation. But the reason why I ask this is that there is not a whole lot of options up there. And that's why that opportunity has arisen for someone like uh, like Pepe. But when that well runs dry and when is that well going to run dry? Is it going to well? Is that well going to run dry? You know, the train that we talk about. I mean, it, it keeps rolling down the tracks. It's slowed here or there and taken a little leisurely curve here or there. I don't think it's stopped by any stretch of the imagination. I certainly don't think it has gone off the tracks. But are we I mean, do we have all our eggs in that one basket? And is that OK? Mossy? Uh, I'm very high on Pepe, but you're right. It's dangerous to put all your eggs in the basket of a young player like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that position is still up in the air. Somebody like DK is a guy I have not given up on at all. And I'm, I'll be very fascinated to see what his role is in 2022. But you're right. Uh, the U.S. needs some other options there that they can feel good about. All right. Um, and, and then the, the thing that occurred to me in terms of looking ahead and, and the preparation that Greg Berhalter is doing is this summer, it's going to be so unique uh, because obviously there is no World Cup in the summer, having been moved to November and December in Qatar. What is that landscape going to look like? What is this this clean slate just sitting out there uh, that normally has the World Cup? How are you going to use it? Are there going to be tournaments organized? Who should you play? When should you play? How many times are you going to play? Because, yes, the players need rest. But here is this expanse here that you need to utilize. You need to, to, to figure it out. And I don't know what his strategy is going to be. I don't know what anybody's strategy is going to be. That's what, what makes this all interesting is that this is uncharted territory for everybody, and including Greg Berhalter. Obviously, you know, knock on wood, the U.S. qualifies. You want to get the best competition ever, because as 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 optimistic and as excited and bullish as I am about what happened this past year, let's be honest, um, the big games were against Mexico. And ultimately, this isn't about beating Mexico. This is about being able to compete consistently against the elites. And we just because of covid, because of the world that we live in, we just haven't had a whole lot of opportunities to test ourselves on a consistent basis of teams that are at our level, but more importantly, teams that are better than us. So to the extent that we can get those types of games this summer and Greg Berhalter and the U.S. Soccer Federation can find ways to do that, that's great. It might not be as easy as it sounds, um, given uh, the realities of what's on the ground and what's happening uh, going forward. So you're going to have to make the best of that possible situation. But he's going to have to make sure that he uses that uh, that summer. What do you think the summer is going to look like, Mossy? I'm not really sure. As, as you mentioned, this is uncharted territory. But um, I agree with you. We're, we're living in an age in which, because of the advent of the Nations League, regions are walled off from each other more than ever before. And we'll talk about the Nations League later in the Ask Alexi segment. And that's why it was such a bummer not qualifying for the Olympics, because that would have been a chance to face some other countries in a competitive environment. And so, yeah, the, the U.S. absolutely has to make sure they get some games against some really quality European and South American opposition. So you avoid getting to a World Cup 
facing one of those teams and not knowing how to react because you haven't played against a team like that for several years. So absolutely, that is a top priority for me. And then, I mean, we saw the the coming of age, the uh, coming out party, if you will, of a, a number of different players, not the least of which is um, Matt Turner in goal and Miles Robinson in the center back position. And these were guys that, you know, a year ago, it's not as if we were talking about them as starters and penned in starters. And I know Turner and, and Stefan are going to go back and forth, but what a difference a year makes in terms of their pedigree and, and the way that we look at these types of players. Can that happen again? Are there players right now that we're not looking at and talking about that jump on the scene in 2022, whatever that scene ends up looking at, and are able to make a, a significant contribution so that when that roster is named, they are absolutely on that squad. I don't know. You get closer and closer to the World Cup. There's less and less opportunity and chance. But, you know, we have certainly have a history where players have gotten hot. And to your point earlier about, you know, putting all our eggs in one basket, if there is a player out there that just comes on and is just feeling it in 2022 in terms of putting the ball on the back of the net, it would not surprise me if you it's not a flyer because you know, you, you have really nothing to lose because there's not a lot of options up uh, up there. But but it's going to be much harder in 2022 to have a Matt Turner or a Miles Robinson type of situation. Do you see that happening at all? Well, one name I'll throw out there is I share Matt Doyle's love for Paxton Pomacall. And if he can stay healthy and have a strong year, boy, he brings some qualities that are very interesting in that midfield. So that would perhaps be a name to keep an eye on somebody that could come out of nowhere in this last 12 months before the world cup and play his way into a spot. And then the other things, a couple, a couple more things that uh, in terms of looking forward, this team has yet to be punched in the nose. Okay. It is, it has been smooth sailing. Let's be honest. Okay. And that's great. You play the teams that are in front of you, but as we mentioned before, ultimately this is about being competitive with the elites of the world. I don't want it to happen, but a part of me kind of does. Uh, I don't want it to happen in this next window when we're playing, you know, away in Canada or something like that. It might, it might not. But I do think that you learn from it. And I do think that with all of the good that has happened, a reminder that you still are not elite and you still haven't figured it all out would not be the worst thing in the world. And maybe that happens, you know, we were talking about what happens this summer. Maybe they get a game against a big team and the big team comes out and thumps us. Now, you you will take hits from all sides. The media will come out and say, oh, you're not as good as we thought you were. And oh, this is the, the you know, a regression. And oh, Greg Berhalter doesn't know what he's doing and all that kind of stuff. But it, it could be a, a blessing in disguise because I, I don't want that punch on the nose that every good team, and by the way, every great team at some point, takes and learns from it and grows and gets better. I don't want that to happen in the, in the world cup. I don't, you can't, you can't manufacture that and you, but, but it does worry. And I think it, 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 it I think it's right to say, Hey, this is a team that's had only success basically. And very, very little challenges or setbacks, let alone failures. I mean, they really haven't had any failures. And at some point I kind of want them to get blood. I, I bloodied. I want them to get that punch in the nose. And you still have that qualifier at Azteca, which, as I mentioned, the U.S. might have clinched the World Cup berth before then. But regardless, you know, Mexico is going to be frothing at the mouth yep. for that game. So that's interesting to see how the U.S. reacts there. 
And then the final one, and I'll be interested to hear your uh, your comments on this because you know you you know very well a country that at times has done this to great effect, and maybe only certain countries can. But there's so much talk about 2026 uh, and the the World Cup being in the U.S. with our with our hosts, uh, our co-hosts of Canada and Mexico, and this this ramp, this lead up, this light post, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's not going to go away. So how much does Greg Berhalter think about 2026? Should he be thinking about 2026? Maybe that's much more for your Ernie Stewart's and your Brian McBride's. But is there a player that is involved in 2022 that is with an eye to the future? And is that is that right? Should Greg Berhalter be thinking of that? Is that even his possibility? Uh, is that even his responsibility right now? But, you know, I, I do think that Greg Berhalter, while recognizing that his job is to get the team to win, I do think that he he feels that the progress and the evolution that he has made is beneficial, is beneficial, not just in the moment and not just relative to 2022, but even beyond whether he's involved or not. Yeah, the famous example with Brazil is Ronaldo in 94, who didn't play a mid in that World Cup, but got the experience of being there and knowing that he was probably going to be the star in 98. Uh, Kaká in 2002, to a lesser degree, was similar to that. But yeah, I don't, I don't see that with the U.S. here. I think, you know, you have to make use of every spot you have in that squad and bring somebody that you think can really contribute at that tournament if called upon. So, yeah, I'm not sure I see that here for the U.S. All right. Uh, some uh, congratulations are in order in terms of the end of the year awards here. Christian Pulisic, three time uh, player of the year from uh, U.S. soccer, male player of the year. Ricardo Pepe, the 2021 U.S. soccer young male player of the year. Um, I'm, I'm good with both of those. Uh, I, I, I think Matt Turner certainly has a case, but I'm good with Christian Pulisic, and you know, I don't think you can go wrong with that. Ricardo Pepe, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, Miles Robinson. Uh, I think you know it's, it's back and forth, but goal scorers are always going to get the love, and so I'm uh, I'm okay with that. Um, and then Lindsey Horan and Trinity Rodman on the women's side for uh, Player of the Year and Young Player of the, of the Year on the women's side. Any uh, disagreement, or uh, did anybody get snubbed? No, uh, Matt Turner, as you mentioned, finished second to Pulisic in the Player of the Year. And then Yunus Musa finished second to Pepe for Young Player of the Year. Keep in mind that club stuff counts. So the fact that Pulisic this year became the first American to play in a UEFA Champions League final, the second American ever to win it, our colleague uh, Jovan Karofsky won it with Dortmund in 97, but he was holding the clipboard for that final against Juventus in Munich. So, um, so, yeah, I think when you factor that in, it's hard to go against Pulisic. And Pepe, too, he also won MLS Young Player of the Year. And then you throw in what he's done with the national team emerging in those qualifiers the way he did. So uh, no issue with either of those selections. All right. And then wrapping up the segment here with a little bit of MLS news, the uh, the season schedule is out. So you can see where your teams are playing and when and all that. And keep in mind, it is the earliest opening weekend ever with the season starting February 26. Obviously, with the World Cup happening in November, December, you got to get those you got to get those games in. Those games will be done. An MLS season will be done. An MLS Cup will have been played by the time they head out to uh, uh, head out to to Qatar, whether it's the U.S. or any other players that are involved in the World Cup uh, going uh, going forward. Um, and then uh, Sebastian Legette, U.S. men's national team uh, and longtime L.A. Galaxy member going off to New England, which is uh, which is interesting. I, I don't think that there are more um, players that, that bring more 
uh, debate and consternation out there than Sebastian Legette and probably Jassy Zard is those uh, those two. So Sebastian Legette joining Bruce Arena again, reuniting with Bruce Arena out there in the New England Revolution. And we'll see how that goes. Anything uh, anything MLS wise you wanted to hit? Well, first off on the schedule, I was perusing our games. We have some terrific ones. Uh, first weekend right off the bat, Portland, New England on Big Fox. We have um, March 5th, Charlotte FC's home opener against the Galaxy, that, remember, that managed by my guy, Miguel Angel Ramirez, I'm excited about. Uh, we have an El Trafico, April 9th on Big Fox. We have a Seattle-Portland, July 9th on Big Fox. And it culminates with MLS Cup, which is on Fox uh, November 5th. And in, you know shortly thereafter, we will be off to Qatar because the World Cup then begins November 21st. So busy year ahead. And yeah, on the, in terms of MLS offseason stuff, uh, Palmeiras, the reigning Copa Libertadores champions who are preparing to play in the Club World Cup, uh, they've really turned their eye to MLS. They made, I, I thought, a terrific signing in getting Atuesta. Uh, so he leaves LAFC and goes to Brazil. And they're, they're trying to get Valentin Castellanos, although it seems like if he leaves NYCFC, it'll be to go to Europe. So mm-hmm. they're probably not going to get him. But it's interesting that, you know, the best club in South America has really turned to MLS as an option to try to lure some talent here. So... Um, yeah, it should be an interesting offseason in MLS for sure. Well, you know, MLS a couple of years ago really leaned in and said they wanted to be involved in the international market and, and not that just doesn't, doesn't just mean uh, Europe. And so if there are those out there that want to raid the MLS cupboard, I think that they will welcome them with open arms and continue to drive and churn that market that they want to be uh, be a part of. Um, all right, cool. So, I mean, MLS, if you're uh, if you're a big MLS person out there, your your uh, your season is right around the corner. And these players after the new year will be called back in and uh, start start training and we'll be uh, we'll be off to the races. And as you mentioned, new teams, new stadiums, uh, all that kind of stuff, happen. new coaches all over the place. So there's something to bite into when it comes to uh, Major League Soccer and uh, very, very quickly. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, we'll take a trip around the rest of the world. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, we're back. Uh, Mossy, where do you want to start? You want to start out with uh, Premier League and uh, and all the doings there? Well, I find it so interesting. Uh, Luis Aguilar, in the rundown he put together, he put Sergio Aguero retiring under the Premier League, which really speaks to how irrelevant this Barcelona stint was for him. He goes there, presumably to play alongside Messi. Messi leaves and, you know, he plays just a few games for Barcelona. Scores one goal, by the way, which came against Real Madrid on a Sergio Dest assist. And then sadly has this heart problem and is sidelined for a while. And then ultimately Sergio Aguero did announce his retirement. So I think Luis wants us to start there to sort of pay homage to a guy who's, you know, been one of my favorite players. You know, we've talked about on this podcast how there's a a handful of guys who over the last 10 years have, have unfortunately been overshadowed by Messi and Ronaldo and their exploits. But you sort of take a step back and look at their careers, guys like Aguero, Benzema, Suarez, Lewandowski. And you realize that they, it's pretty transcendently great careers too. It's just that you know when you score, tw- yeah, yeah, when you score twenty five league goals 
it doesn't seem as impressive when there's a guy in the same league that scores 45. You know, Messi and Ronaldo just produced numbers that it made everybody else uh, seem not as impressive by comparison. But still, I mean, Sergio Aguero, highest scoring foreigner in Premier League history, fourth all-time leading scorer in Premier League history, and, and third leading scorer in Argentina history behind Messi, behind Messi and Batista. And you forget that he had this whole first part of his career at Atletico Madrid, where he scored more than 100 goals for that club and helped them win the Europa League. So just a terrific career all the way around. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that cracked the code. Uh, the most difficult thing to do in our sport is put the ball on the back of the net. And here's somebody that did it consistently everywhere he went uh, with incredible numbers. Like you, like you said, he did it in the age and time of Messi and Ronaldo. And therefore, it was uh, probably not celebrated to the extent that it should have been. But he he understands that. And I think he's, I think he's getting his due. I, I think, you know, Pep was there uh, for for his you know goodbye, and it's a pity. It's a pity that it ended like this. But in a sense, we're glad we're glad they caught it, uh, and uh, you know he can go on and do some uh, some big things. But he will forever be remembered as a great goal scorer. I think mostly he will be tied to the EPL and what he did there because of the the, the volume, the importance, the panache and style in which he uh, in which he did it and uh here's hoping that we have others like him uh coming but man oh man um what a goal scorer he's a guy who in terms of his style of play short stocky striker uh has drawn a lot of comparisons to romario who i know is one of your favorites you played against mm-hmm. do you see that when you watch Sergio Aguero? do you kind of see why people see the romario similarity I, yeah i mean i see it in the in the transfer of weight and the uh, low center of gravity that they have that is that's beguiling to so many and in particular big guys like myself and it, it's there there is a grace certainly in it but it is backed up with a um a power and a force uh you know and and you know, it's you know, some of it's muscular, some of it's up here in the head, but it's the combination of all of that that make it just so difficult to mark players like him. It's funny to think on the topic of Brazilian comparisons with him. Uh, he played in the 2007 Under-20 World Cup in Canada, and I happened to be in Canada uh, that summer, so I went to some games in that tournament. And that was a tournament, by the way, where the U.S. performed very well. Freddie yeah. Adu was Freddie, yeah. But the big debate going into that tournament was Aguero versus Pato. They were like the two teenage <laughs> phenoms, and and people in Brazil were convinced that Pato was better. And it's fair to say we lost out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what about some actual stuff that happened over there in the, in the EPL? Well, uh, Tottenham played Liverpool. Phenomenal game. Uh, end-to-end. Uh, finished 2-2. So much to get to here, but we should start with the officiating. Um, yes, I thought Liverpool got the short end of the stick. Both those decisions in the first half. Harry Kane absolutely should have been sent off, which would have changed the whole tenor of that game. And then I did think that was a penalty when Jota was taken out in the box. Uh, I had no issue with the Robertson red, by the way. So, so that one was fine. But it was the two calls in the first half that went against Liverpool. So you knew Klopp would be upset. As soon as the final whistle blew, he walked over to the referee, Paul Tierney, and, and complained. But, you know, the, the microphones caught specifically what he said. And I know you had a real issue with the way Klopp came at the referee. Yeah. I mean, so for, for I mean, anybody that didn't see it or anything, he went 
as as coaches, managers will do at the end of the game, you're 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 raw, you're filled with emotion and uh, and passion and at times anger for being what you feel is you know hard done. And you want to get it out and you want to at least make sure that the uh, the object of your ire recognizes that you are angry. And so he went over and he said, you know, I, I have no problem with referees, only you. And he's pointing and screaming and he said, you never played football. Listen. I love Klopp. I think he's one of the greats. I would have loved to play for him. And I think players around the world pretty unanimously recognize his talent and would want to play for him. That being said, um, go and criticize the referee. Go and call him a scumbag and horrible and you don't know what you're doing and you have no place in this game. And that was a ridiculous call. And I hate you and your family and burn in hell and all that kind of stuff. All right. I would rather he had done that than what he did. Okay. As I said, I have no problem with him or any other coach being angry and criticizing referees after the game, either on the field or in the press after. Go to town. No problem. But, but what I don't like is I don't like people in general, but but in this case, it's a coach and manager, but it applies to people in general, including myself and anybody others using, quote, you haven't played to dismiss or to demean the opinion of others. I think it's weak. I think it's definitely condescending. I think it's hypocritical. I think it's cowardly. And I think it's a slippery slope when you start to do that. Um, you, you know, you can you can look at media members and uh, it's like telling a media member that their opinion on the game is wrong because they haven't played. It's like me telling you that you having an opinion on the game is wrong because you, quote unquote, haven't played. First off, you got to define d- define what haven't played is. And what's what's Klopp's criteria for somebody's opinion uh, and somebody's judgment that makes him or her worthwhile and valid. Do you have to have played internationally? Do you have to have played in the EPL? Do you have to have played here? Do you have to have played a certain number of years, a certain number of games and all that kind of stuff? That's why I say it's a slippery slope. Uh, Teams out there are populated with people that if we used Klopp's uh, calculation and definition, quote, haven't played, but they have incredible value. And as I've said before, I have been around players that, quote, have played, and many at the highest level that have no clue what they're doing and have no clue what they're talking about. I have been around people that, quote, what for Klopp, haven't played, that are incredible, incredible at what they do, incredible at the things that they see and incredible at the way that they look at the game. And so that's I just thought it was for a guy that is so strong. I'm even leading up to the game, you know, his the way that he dealt with. The COVID situation and the way that he handled himself and the things that he said had so much weight and meat and class in the way that it happened. I just thought it was for for him, it was weak. And I don't I don't want to see that. And look, he's emotional. And in that moment, he if he if he thinks about it, he might have gone back and said, ah, I I should have done that. And uh, anyway, and and it's I think it triggered and and it hit a nerve in me. That, you know, because I've talked about this before, uh, this before, it, it it drives me nuts when we do that, because then, you know what happens? The conversation is over. If that if that's if that's what you throw out, there's no 
There's no comeback from that. There's no, there's no, there's no conversation able to be had. You've, you stated that you don't respect and, or listen or acknowledge anybody that it hasn't, quote, played. And fine, we're done. We're, we're, we're done here. And a referee who has worked his or her ass off to get where they are and has probably watched more soccer than many coaches and managers out, uh, out there, I just don't think that they deserve it. Now, if Klopp, if Klopp believes that every, ma- uh, that every referee has to have played, quote unquote, and played, first off, again, you got to define what, what do they have to have done in order to, in your mind, be valid in terms of the decisions that they are making. Anyway, that's that's the way that I felt. I still love Klopp and I still think he's a I think he's a great coach. But this was I just think he didn't have to do it in this moment. Uh, I will say on the two teams, uh, Liverpool and Chelsea have to be careful with Manchester City right now. Uh, Liverpool only three points back. Chelsea six points back. may not seem like a lot, but City are in one of those zones they get in where they're just churning out win after win. And you don't want to fall too far behind that team. And then on the flip side, uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of Antonio Conte. Look, he's a pain in the neck. He won't last long there because he has a type of personality that after a couple of years, nobody can take him anymore. And so he ends up leaving. But in the short term, I do think he's a top manager. I'm on record as saying United should have sacked Solskjaer earlier than they did so they could have gotten Conti. He's now at Tottenham. And I think they're going to be in that top four mix. I know Arsenal are flying right now uh, and they should be excited. I'm very excited about Martinelli's emergence and with him and Smith Rowe and Saka and Odegaard. They've got a real nice young nucleus there. Gabriel and Ben White at the back. Ramsdale on goals. So lots to like about what Arsenal are doing. United have so much talent. And you figure with Ralph Rangnick, it guarantees a basic level of competence. So they're going to be in it till the end. West Ham hanging around. But I think Tottenham are going to be right there too. Would not shock me at all with Conti if they finish fourth and left Arsenal and United out in the cold. The table's a little funky right now because they've had these games canceled because of the COVID. So they've played only 15 games. Well, Arsenal's already played 18. And by the way, that could come back to burn Tottenham because when they reschedule those games, might have some crazy stretch. Um, but we'll see. Uh, when everybody's kind of in even amount of games, we'll have a better idea of where we are. But uh, but I'm high on Conte at Tottenham and the job they can do for the rest of the season. Wow. You So you got Spurs under Conte making their way. And when all is said and done and the dust settles, being in that top four. Really? Right. What, right in the what makes you so bullish? Well, I think he's going to get Harry Kane going again. You know, he scored against... Uh, Liverpool. And I mean, they've gotten, I mean, nothing out of him so far this season, which is unbelievable. So you figure if he has a second half of the season, that's more befitting of Harry Kane. uh, That's half the battle right there. And and he'll make sure they're organized and and solid defensively. And so uh, I didn't say say they'll get for it. Okay. No, but okay. But, but, but they they will be challenging. I mean, even that in and of itself is, is an accomplishment and a feather in Conte's. uh, Conte's They don't have have Europe to worry about because they've been expelled from that. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, look, if if he can, if Conte can bring Spurs back to that level where there is a credibility and respect, like I said, that in and of itself is an incredible feat. Now, he's got a long way to go in terms of, you know, changing the perception when it comes to someone like uh, Kylian Mbappe. Uh, and uh, if you if you saw the uh, who's the Spider-Man actor, Tom Holland, he tried to convince Mbappe to join Tottenham and Mbappe kind of turned and said, uh no, that's not happening and burst out laughing. So I don't think that uh, yet Conte has has raised the level of Spurs where the best players in the world are looking at it. I'm not a big comic book movie guy, but this story, Luis Aguilar uh, stuck it in there right now. I suspect he is. He's probably one of these losers that waits in line to go see every new Avengers movie. And so he thinks this is the coolest thing in the world that the Spider-Man actor <laughs> was talking to Kylian Mbappe. But for me, that story did nothing. 
My son did go to the uh, the new Spider Man in the uh, in the theater, so uh, and he liked it. He, he thought it was good. Uh, all right, uh, head over to uh, Spain. Should we do that? Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'll say about Spain is, you know, I had proclaimed the La Liga race over after Real Madrid beat Atletico Madrid. My thinking was that Atletico was the only team that realistically could challenge Real Madrid, and the gap between those two was so big that they couldn't make it up. And the teams that were actually closer to Real Madrid in the table are not teams that I think are a serious threat to win it. Well, uh, there have been a couple articles that have come out in the last couple of days because Real Madrid, they stumbled, they drew Cadiz, nil-nil. Sevilla beat Atletico Madrid. So the gap between Real Madrid and Sevilla is six, and Sevilla have a game in hand, which they're actually playing right now as we speak. They're hosting Barcelona. So if they win that game, the gap would go down to three. So there have been a couple articles written last couple of days about Sevilla's chances of winning La Liga, and it made me question, am I selling them short? I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to stick to my <laughs> comments that, that Real Madrid have basically won this because of the gap they've put between themselves and Atletico. Sevilla will hang around and they'll make it interesting, but I, I can't see Sevilla winning La Liga. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, so uh, maybe Luis Aguilar can keep an eye on this game and tell us what's going on. Uh, All right. So it's still it's still Real Madrid is, is what you're saying then. You, you, you haven't been convinced that anybody else, in, including Sevilla and let alone Barcelona, is, is going to challenge. Correct. Okay. Uh, when it comes to Real Madrid, um, is it true? And I want to read this correctly. Vinicius, Vinicius, the, uh, your friend from Brazil there, has played 100 games for Real Madrid, becoming the seventh Brazilian player to reach this milestone. That he's doing it in a time where there's so much flux when it, and, and, you know, I guess lack of prestige associated with La Liga and in particular with Barcelona and Real, Real Madrid, that, that that doesn't dampen it. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty good, right? Yeah, uh, it's an impressive list. You've got uh, Marcelo, Casemiro, Roberto Carlos, Ronaldo, uh, Robinho, and Savio. So the list gets a little less impressive towards the end there, but <laughs> certainly the first four names is very good company. And and yeah, I mean, he's uh, flying this season and I'm sure he'll play in many, many more games for Real Madrid. The, the only interesting thing about that is to tie it into the Tom Holland and Mbappe thing is, you know, Vinicius is flourishing on the left and they're on record as saying they're not going to move him off there. So Mbappe is going to have to be the one to accommodate because and I'm already treating it as a given that Mbappe is going to go there because I think it is. And so you have Benzema in the middle and, and Vinicius on the on the left. That would mean Mbappe playing on the right and the front three being Mbappe on the right, Vinicius on the left, Benzema in the middle. And although Mbappe can play all three of those positions and do well, I think he's the least effective when he's playing on the right wing. And he's so. But but why does why 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 wouldn't Vinicius make room? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll believe it when I see it. But they're supposedly so high on Vinicius. And they've concluded that he can't play on the right. He has to play on the left to be effective. While Mbappe can function on either side so but so but, he would but you're not saying team. that you're not saying that vinicius is better than mbappe are you uh i i most certainly am not but as we discussed <laughs> it's it's vinicius mania there so like it's been asked it's been posed to carl Ancelotti. wait a minute everybody's so high on vinicius but if you sign mbappe how's that going to work and he actually said there's no world where under me vinicius will not be playing on that left wing like he's not going to be right. the one to have to move somewhere else so uh, just something to keep an eye on here as we enter champagne, January, champagne problems, which, champagne you know, problems. in theory, Mbappe could sign a deal with Real Madrid this January. Now, by all accounts, he wants to avoid that because it would be incredibly awkward this uh, second half of the season with PSG having already agreed a deal with Real Madrid, which, you know, would leak even if they tried to keep that quiet. Right. So he's going to tell Real Madrid, look, 
let's sort this out at the end of the season. I'm coming, wink, wink, but let's sort this out at the end of the season, particularly since those two teams are going to play each other in the round of 16 of the champs. Like, how awkward would that be if he was already signed <laughs> by Real Madrid? So I don't think anything's going to happen here with Mbappe in January, but I do think when the dust settles next season, he'll be on Real Madrid. All right. All right. Uh, should we head off to uh, Serie A? Yes, and the only thing I'm going to say here, because I'm going to try to keep this short today, is Inter are flying. There are midweeks, midweek games going on, so I can't say anything specific about standings and stuff because it might be obsolete by the time you hear this podcast. But what we can say is Inter at the weekend beats Salernitana 5-0. That was after a 4-0 win over Cagliari. They've surged to the top of the table, and they're the runaway top scorer in Serie A. They've scored 48 goals already. They've lost only one out of 18 um, so give credit to Simone and Zaghi. You know, Conti left there because he thought, oh, with the financial issues, they're not going to be able to compete. They had to sell Lukaku and Hakimi. Uh, but Jekko stepped in. They haven't missed a beat. Him and Lautaro have a nice understanding. And so they're scoring goals for fun. They're on top of the league. And they reached the round of 16 of the Champions League, which is something Conti wasn't able to do. So Simone and Zaghi deserves credit. He's walked in there and done a great job. And Inter, my money is on Inter winning Serie A again. I think they are the best team. And uh, Mourinho had a, had a big win, right? And uh, let everybody know about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've been people have been knocking Roma for not being able to beat any of the top title contenders, and so they went out and beat Atalanta four one, which is a really nice win. And afterwards, in that classic Mourinho style, he said like. Well, I, I guess they're not title contenders anymore after we beat them. So you're going to tell me that this isn't like a big win. Uh, but no, a really nice result for them. And then we had another American make his debut for Venezia, uh, Jack DeVries. Uh, is that, that's how you pronounce it, right? Devry. That's that's what we're going with. I mean, <laughs> until uh, until he corrects us. So yeah, Venezia really has become between Buzio and Tesman, and now this kid. I mean, they're, it's they're, not it's not fair that they have a bunch of Americans over there to kind of you know prop them up and hang out with. I mean, I, 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 years ago I was sitting alone. Nobody spoke English. Nobody you know talked to me. I didn't have anybody to lean on over there. <laughs> boy, oh boy. And I, I but I'm, I'm I'm just joking. I'm ha- I'm happy that that's happening. I'm happy that there is a a team like Venezia that recognizes the American. Uh, talent. Now, I know they recognize it also from a commercial perspective. And, you know, this is a team that actually like the team that I played for many, many years ago, their main and only goal is to stay up. And if they do that, that would be a, a success. But in that in within that goal, having Americans play and having multiple Americans uh, play, that's a that's a good thing. And it makes you want to watch uh, Venezia, which is exactly what they want to have happen. Uh, should we go to Germany? Yeah, which, uh, surprise, surprise, Bayern thump Wolfsburg 4-0 and Dortmund lose to Hertha Berlin. So the gap is back up to nine at the winter break there. So, so much for that even being anything. Um, Yeah, that's done. That's uh, done. Yeah, and and Lewandowski scored in that win over Wolfsburg. So that gives him 43 Bundesliga goals this calendar year, which breaks the record. Gerd Müller, who recently passed away, uh, scored 42 in 1972. That had been the most Bundesliga goals in the calendar year. Lewandowski breaks that record. He's got all sorts of other Muller records he's chasing that he'll, I suspect he'll break if he sticks around there. You know, Bayern, incidentally, did come out publicly and say they're not interested in Holland. They expect Lewandowski to stay. He said they already have the best striker in the world. Why would they need a center forward? So that was kind of interesting. So, uh, there you have right. it in Germany. Yeah, I mean, it's, is it an, Upgrade. I don't know if it's an upgrade, but it's a newer model, right? And you know, not that Lewandowski, by all you know, by all indications, is going to continue to do what he's going to do. He's kept his body relatively injury free. He's still a great uh, goal scorer. But you know, if you can trade in and get a get a younger model, that's uh, that at times is good business. But 
All right, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna rule with Lewandowski. Uh, okay, uh, what else? Anything else, Mossy? And that one on this, uh, an American had a huge day. Uh, Jordan Pifak, you you alluded to this in the first segment, but yep. four goals for young boys in a Swiss Super League game against Lugano. So that was nice to see. Yeah? yeah, I mean, an American scoring goals right now is not only nice to see; it is important. <laughs> and if you are an American right now and scoring goals, you will have an opportunity to go to the World Cup uh, with the U.S. if and when they uh, they qualify, because that's the desperation level that we have when it comes to our search and our continued search for a goal scorer, with all due respect to uh, Ricardo Pepe. All right, uh, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, ooh, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go away. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back and it's time uh, for Ask Alexi. You send us your questions, your comments, your uh, screaming and yelling, if you will. Um, and you can do it. In the traditional way, in the Twitter machine or uh, you know, Facebook or the Instagram and stuff like that, you use that hashtag Ask Alexi, or you can use our State of the Union podcast hotline, which, as you all know, is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. What do the people want to know this week, Mossy? Uh, first up, at DJ Haziel asks, um, thoughts on Comebol and UEFA doing a joint Nations League in 2024? Yeah, this was big news. UEFA announcing that uh, they're, they're going to welcome South American teams, including Brazil and Argentina, to take part in, the, in their Nations League beginning in 2024. Obviously, in the context of FIFA trying to <laughs> create the World Cup every two years. So uh, what, what did you make of this story? A lot to chew on here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an obvious um, and strategic shot across the bow of what's going on with uh, FIFA. By the way, um, FIFA came out this week with their uh, research and their surveys and really kind of dug into the money aspect of it, which I actually think they should have been doing uh, all along. Uh, and the many more billions that uh, that FIFA stands to earn with the uh, the World Cup happening happening two years. And when I say FIFA, not just FIFA as a whole, but all of its members also increasing the amount of money that they are ha that they have. And I think if this is ever to get done, that's how it gets done. Because as we said before, a World Cup without you know the teams of UEFA or the teams of Comnibol is not a World Cup, and so you have to make sure that it is you make it worth their while, so that they recognize that this is going to help them make more money than they already make. Having said that, they are also going to go off and do what they need to do in order to increase revenues and to increase relevance uh, when it comes to the uh, the competitions that they have, including Nations League, including uh, uh, you know. Uh, you know, what's uh, the euros, all the different things that they have. Now, from a Fox perspective, this is great because we're we're televising this and to add teams like Brazil and Argentina and others and all of the incredible players that come with that. That's 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 wonderful. And it will make it automatically more attractive uh, going forward. Um, 
is it is it a fait accompli? Maybe, maybe not. I will say this, you know, and and I, you know, I've talked to different presidents of confederations before, and and obviously they have to worry about their confederation. Uh, Comnable is an interesting one, as you can attest to. Uh, When it comes to someone like CONCACAF and, you know, Victor Montaliani, there are times where it makes sense for some CONCACAF teams to participate. Who knows? Maybe maybe the next invitation is to CONCACAF teams uh, to participate. So, yeah, this is an existential type of moment and crisis when it comes to, not crisis, that's a little bit too much, but it is a, a moment where FIFA has to look at things. Now, I think there's enough to go around for everybody and the pie can only get bigger, but you know, it's, it's also interesting that, uh, you know, for for those that screamed and yelled about the Super League, this is ultimately just adding big teams in order to make something that much more attractive uh, uh, out there. And it will be attractive and people will want to watch it because of the big names and because of the big teams uh, that are out there. Uh, like I said, I don't know if this ultimately uh, gets done in the same way that I don't know if uh, you know a World Cup every two years ultimately gets done. But this is all this is all power plays, and for the ability to make the pie bigger, but also the more importantly, the ability to have a bigger piece of that pie when all is said and done. And it is a battle for hearts and minds, and ultimately, it's a battle for viewership. It's a battle for sponsorship. It's a battle for uh, for relevance and global relevance out there. And if you can put on a show that competes or is better than something that somebody else is doing, that's something that you certainly have to uh, to uh, to look at. What about you? What do you think about this? Yeah, this is so interesting. It's funny because Johnny Infantino had expressed uh, this desire to create a global nations league. And now this idea is coming back to bite him. We know how protective FIFA are of the World Cup. And they've sabotaged Olympic soccer, basically, because they don't want anything to rival the World Cup in terms of prominence. But I got news for you. You create a competition with all the best teams in Europe and Brazil and Argentina that entails a group stage and then some knockout games at the end you've effectively created a second World Cup. And it's not that crazy to me that some fans would argue, oh, I'd rather win that than to win the World Cup, which is the last thing FIFA wants because the World Cup has always been held up as that's the ultimate prize, the ultimate thing in this sport. So that's something to keep an eye on. And the other thing is that, you know, we talked about this with the U.S. um, earlier, how regions are more walled off from each other than ever before. And there's been a lot of uh, concern in Brazil, certainly, that, Uh, They're not getting to face European competition and said they're going to go to the World Cup untested. Uh, And so this has been actually celebrated in Brazil. If this actually comes off, the idea that this guarantees some competitive matches against European countries over the course of a cycle leading into a World Cup, uh, they think ultimately will be to the benefit of Brazil and Argentina and all the South American nations. Now that, as you mentioned, that leaves out... uh, uh, CONCACAF and, and some of these other, you know, so it's, it's a bit let of a the, Let them eat cake, Mossy. Yeah, let them a, eat cake. It's certainly elitist to think, well, this solved our problem now. You know, the rest of you guys fend for yourselves. But nevertheless, that's that's kind of where I we mean, are. That, that to me is what is, is so interesting about all this. In a, in a day and time and age when we are told and lectured to about how we must think about everybody and, you know, privilege and opportunity and all that kind of stuff. This this elitist and snobbish way of going about and just, I'm going to get mine. And I don't care how it affects anybody else because that's not my worry or job. And look, I, I understand that when it comes to UEFA, 
The UEFA's job is to do what's best for UEFA and its membership. But in doing so, they are creating a situation where they are potentially hurting others and others that can't afford to be hurt. And, you know, I mean, that in that in and of itself, by the way, that argument was the argument against the Super League. (laughs) So, you know, I think that the hypocrisy, either overt or, you know, or not, is absolutely there when it comes to something uh, like this. And I, look, I'm I, I'm there with people in that I want to watch great soccer and I want to watch great soccer players and I want to watch exciting and competitive types of environments. And uh, so there will be there will be eyeballs. But at what cost? All of this. And by the way, that applies to what FIFA does. That applies to what UEFA does. That applies to what uh, Comnibold does. It applies to what CONCACAF and, and everybody else. And if you're if you're always and only looking out for number one, I get it. I've been there before and I understand that that human type of uh, reaction and that business reality when it comes to what you what you're doing. But if this is truly a global sport and truly a, go- a global market marketplace, you should at least spare some thought and some time for the decisions and the uh, the ramifications of those uh, of those decisions, but I'll but I'll watch it and I'll be excited to uh, to watch it because it's going to be good soccer and it's going to be great teams with great history and great tradition and great pedigree. But at what cost? Uh, what else, Mossy? Uh, next question. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pronounce this guy. It's at S V Wits uh, asked, um, "Hey Alexi, I love soccer, but why don't they?" change the rule and just stop the clock when somebody is injured. They never seem to add the right amount of stoppage time at the end of regulation. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and this has been suggested in the past. And and I share your frustration with the, uh, the way that the time is calculated and the disconnect with, <laughs> with what ultimately is added and the amount of time that at times has been wasted. And, and so in that sense, I agree with you. Having said that, um, I, I don't think that the, you know, a rule change or a change to the rules and just stopping the clock when it's injured is, is something that's going to happen. Why do they do it? They do it because, and I'm going to get a little romantic here, okay? Because at its core, the game, the game that we all love, the beautiful game, um, is is rooted in subjectivity, okay? Not everything, but but a lot of it. And relative to other sports, it lives in those beautiful gray areas. And that is, I think, part of its appeal. Um, and I think, like I said, what makes it that beautiful game and what makes it beautiful. And yes, as we have evolved and progressed, you know, some of those changes to the game, um, have 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 been in an effort to make it more black and white. And I think that they have been necessary as the game has uh, progressed. But I think the and what we're talking about here with regards to time, the elasticity, if you will, um, of time in the game of soccer is something that is unique. And that, yes, there is a romance associated that I'm not sure I want to give up. Now, I am also of a generation that played when Major League Soccer started where the clock counted down. I am certainly of American sports and we love a countdown. (laughs) We love to see that clock. Um, But I think 
in our game in particular, it it could be it could be problematic. I think the way you fix this and maybe where we both get what we want is to really be adamant about how much time you are ultimately adding and to really have referees be much, much more cognizant of what they are adding. And yes, it's still subjective. And yes, there is still the human element and that that subjectivity and that gray area there. But let's be a little bit more realistic and reasonable when it comes to what we are what we are adding to the game. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Masi? I have to say, I agree with this guy. This is something that's always bothered me. It's one of those things where we just got used to it. It's the way it's done. But the idea, it's the only sport where nobody knows exactly when a game is going to end. And I, I just find that ludicrous. And so I actually would be in favor of, I thought the way MLS did it was brilliant. It's one of those things where MLS felt the need to conform to the authentic way of doing it, where I kind of think, well, may, maybe Americans had it right. And yeah, I, I think stop the clock. Now, the only the only caveat would be, I would make it where the, the game can only end on a stoppage of play. So the clock kicks down to zero, but if a team is attacking, or so, you still, you know, you, you want to avoid that Brazil-Sweden 1978 Zico scenario where a referee literally blew the whistle, stopped the dead when there was a cross in the box and as Zico was heading it in. So you, you, you know, clock hit zero and then the next foul goal kick, whatever, that's when the game ends. So that's, that's how I would do it. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you're just a <laughs> stupid American soccer fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. What else do we got? Uh, and we'll end with an audio one. Oh, uh, okay. Edward from Houston asks. Hey, Alexi. Hey, Mossy. This is Edward from Houston. Love your podcast. I listen to it every week. Uh, last weekend was the national championship for college soccer, and I'm wondering why you guys never address college soccer in your pod. Um, I realize that it's probably unnecessary to report on it every week, but think it's relevant to U.S. soccer. I also know that Alexi was a finalist for the MAC award and may not have had international opportunities without NCAA soccer in his day. Is NCAA soccer pointless, in your opinion? Uh, and also, Mossy, you're being too rude to Luis and are turning into Nate from Ted Lasso. Please improve your attitude. Thanks, guys. See ya. All right, Edward. Way to bring it. Uh, I love this question for a number of reasons. Well, you know, first off, it, it talks about something that is, even though we don't talk about it a whole lot here on the pod, it is, it is near and dear to my heart. Now, not... In the in, in the way that I'm following it every single day, there are other podcasts, there are other people out there that absolutely uh, have the ins and outs and are in the weeds when it comes to the college game. I look at it much more, you know, big picture and I recognize how it impacted me and how it affected and helped me. And I and I've said before, I, I lament the fact that it is that it has become less and less relevant uh, and important. I don't think it ever becomes irrelevant. But, you know, that pathway has deviated and, and it's happened, you know, years ago, deviated drastically where if you are going to be a professional soccer player, very few of them look to the college game. Doesn't mean you can't use that pathway. And by the way, you will have used it and you will come out if you do end up being a professional soccer player, not only a good soccer player, but you will also have the benefit of having gone to uh, uh, to college and had that type of experience. So in, in no way, because I don't talk about it here on the pod, should should you infer that I don't care about it or I don't believe that it can be incredibly beneficial. 
even in this day and age where, where things have moved on. We just only have so much bandwidth, if you will. And we we pick and choose as to what we want to talk about. And sometimes we we meander and sometimes we get into the weeds a little bit about uh, different things. Uh, but for the most part, we're, you know, we're trying to cover a world of soccer that is it's next to impossible to hit uh, to hit everything. But uh, as far as the, your your characterization of Mossy, you are spot on in terms of of what he has become and the way that his personality has started to change. Now, I, I, I have I have not really addressed it with him uh, because I, I feel that it's not quite at that point where he is he is Nate uh, from uh, uh, from the show. But if 2022, if he continues on like that, yeah, I mean, there will have to be a talking to. I actually think Luis is more like the Nate of this podcast. Couldn't you see him one day coming in and saying, you know what? I'm the one that's been making you guys look smart with my rundowns and I'm going somewhere else and creating my own podcast. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. And look, let's be honest. Um, while I think it is still up for debate whether Nate uh, from Ted Lasso is smarter than anybody else, uh, I will readily admit, Mossy, that you are smarter than most, most people out there, including uh, including your partner here. I do want to say two things. Uh, all jokes aside, Luis is the heart and soul of this podcast. I value him tremendously. He does a great job. And number two, you bring up that Nate heel turn on Ted Lasso. I actually thought that was a ridiculous plot twist. And, you know, we, we both you and I had some issues with season two of Ted Lasso. Yep. And that might have been the biggest one. I, I didn't buy that Nate thing at all. <laughs> As I said, I, I worry that it has jumped the shark, but I'm willing to give it another go here uh, in uh, in the third uh, season of, of Ted Lasso. All right, Edward. Uh, good question there. You know, we will drop in some college here or there. Um, but for the most part, like I said, there are other places where you can uh, you can find that. But in no way does that mean that we don't value uh the college scene and what it is and as i said i think it is it's underappreciated i understand why but i also think that there is there is a potential there that is untapped right now with that existing infrastructure there and i don't know how you do it because we all know that it is a behemoth and very very difficult the ncaa with what they have and the restrictions and the limitations which is one of the reasons why it is uh, you know, lost its relevance. But if you could harness that, man, oh man, I think you could do some really, really good things. But that's probably for a for another day and maybe a much smarter person than uh, than you have here. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. We thank everybody for all of their questions uh, when it comes to Ask Alexi and continue to send those things uh, those things through. And remember, our hotline is 657-549-2297. You can be like Edward and you can ask a good question and make fun of Mossy by dialing 657-549-2297. Are we going to take another quick break when we come back? Well, we're going to finish up the show, as we always do with my One for the Road. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right, welcome back, and it's time for my one for the road. Um, I have made an executive decision, Mossy. Uh, we will be off next week. We're going to take a week off so that everybody can uh, take a little bit of a break, uh, including Luis. And, you know, you you were very nice to uh, extol his virtues on the, in the previous segment. And I will echo, echo your compliments and your thanks and your praise for uh, what he does. For those that, uh, that have followed us over the years, you will know that the position that Luis has right now has been occupied by many different people. Uh, over the years and some incredible uh, talents when it comes to that position. So it's not easy shoes to fill. It's not an easy seat to sit in each and every day or each and every week to organize uh, myself and Mossy. And he does a, a tremendous job, as does everybody at our digital department over there in Fox to put this on. We uh, we are turning the corner here into another year and therefore another year of the State of the Union podcast. And ahead of time, I want to thank you for your continued support of uh, what we do here. It is uh, certainly a labor of love, and we have a really, really good time doing it. For those of you that uh, that know the podcast world, you will know that podcasts have a very limited lifespan. The majority of them, uh, majority of them, come and go. And so that we are into what are we into, Mossy? This will be our fifth, fourth year, I think. Fifth year, we began January of 2018, uh, right before the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl. Wow, that's amazing! So we're already ahead of the game when it comes to the amount of of uh, podcasts that we do and the years that we are doing, and that's predominantly thanks to obviously people like Louise and uh, and Mossy for uh, for what they do, but mostly uh, for all of you out there uh, for listening and subscribing and, and rating and doing all that kind of stuff. Louise also wanted me to mention that Spotify now enables you to rate the podcast. So please do that and, and hopefully give us a, a good rating. But I will say that over the last couple of years, um, when we've been able to go on the road, and I know it's been limited over the last couple of years, but when we have been there, the amount of people that have come up and in their introduction and their hellos have referenced the State of the Union pod has really amazed me um, because for for a long time, you just kind of think that you're you're talking into the ether and it's going out there and that that anybody is listening is is a feat in and of itself that so many people are listening um, it just, as I say, warms the cockles of my redheaded heart. So my one for the road here is that as we end this year, I hope you and yours are safe and happy and healthy. I know it's not easy in 2021 and it probably won't be easy in 2022, but hopefully when we're sitting here another year from now, we will be in a, uh, a better place, whether it's on the soccer field or more importantly, off the soccer field. But, uh, please know that, um, that you are part of our family and that you have led us into your lives in this form um, uh, is, is incredibly gratifying. And um, we hope that we can continue to, uh, to do that. And we know we, we bob and weave and we change and uh, uh, we are as flexible as we possibly can. And we appreciate you bobbing and weaving with us as we at times aren't necessarily on the dates that we say we're going to be or audio issues or whatever it ends up being. But for the most part, we've been pretty uh, consistent. And um, that's because we want to make sure that we are giving you a, a quality pod. And I know there's so many great podcasts out there that people can listen to. And when it comes to soccer, there's some wonderful ones out there. We try to do 
you know, our own thing and we try, you know, to, to the question that we just had in the last segment, we, we can't cover everything and we, we don't try to, but we do try to give you, you know, a weekly dose and diet of what's going on around the world. And, you know, I think that the people that do listen to this show, they, you know, they think globally and act locally when it comes to their soccer. And so that there's an appreciation for, you know, at least on the surface, giving everybody a little bite out there of what's uh, what's going on. And as we say in each, every, each and every time, you know, it is through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. And uh, it will continue to be. Have a wonderful, wonderful uh, and Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I might do a little uh, monologue, if you will, next week uh, in place of the show. So there might be a little bit of a you know, a, a stocking stuffer, if you will, uh, next week. But for sure, we'll be back in our regular form a couple weeks from now as we turn into the new year in 2022. Mossy, anything you want to say to the people before we go? No, happy new year. Uh, stay safe out there. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. I echo everything Alexi said. And uh, we'll be with you again in 2022. All right. So continue to, uh, as I said, rate, review, subscribe, download, uh, and do all the different things that, that you do. So here's to a, uh, a a bigger and better 2022. We know that we'll have a World Cup, so there's all sorts of great soccer stuff, but I also hope that there's all sorts of wonderful things that have nothing to do with soccer uh, for you and yours out there. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again in a few weeks. Like I said, uh, there might be a stocking stuffer here uh, a, week, uh, a week from now. But until then, and as always, size the day. 